Hey up, how you doing? It's Matt. You listen to episode 104 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the show where I try and uncover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thank you for checking this one out, which is the first episode of my Portland series, recorded in November 2019, during a week-long trip to Oregon undertaken by myself and Toza. Big thanks to Travel Portland and Hertz for the help with pulling that little jaunt together. So the idea for this one obviously came off the back of the California trip, really, which went so well we decided to try and sort out another one before the end of the year. So we did, and a right old laugh it was too, although I should warn listeners that I did pick up a cold on the flight over, which basically lasted the whole week I was in town. What I'm trying to say is, I've got a cold in every single one of these episodes and you can probably hear I've still got the last bits of it recording this. It means my nasally old Mancunian voice is more adenoidal than ever. Um, I hope it won't detract from your enjoyment of these interviews because while I was there I recorded seven, yep, seven interviews for the Portland Omnibus and I had a few ideas before I headed over because Portland's obviously a little bit of an epicentre of the action sports community. But I also use Instagram to canvas the listeners by doing a poll on stories, as is my want. And I got some really brilliant suggestions, foremost among them being this week's guest, Mark Lumen. Now, I've got to admit, I wasn't massively familiar with Lumen's work when he was suggested to me by my friend Chris at Same Old. But some quick Googling confirmed that, yeah, Lumen's story was right up my strasser and the type of circuitous intensely creative career path that I like to feature on this show and the action sports culture seems to uniquely spawn and um, you're dealing with creative royalty really as that aforementioned google search revealed there's a bio on imdb which has got to be a first actually apart from orlando but yeah and a resume that started back in the 80s and took in era defining print titles such as freestyling homeboy sassy dirt grand royal and big brother before he switched codes, went brand side and started delivering groundbreaking campaigns for some of the biggest companies in action sports and youth culture. He also worked on Jackass, took on side projects like writing Matt Hoffman's biography and is today one of the principals and the creative director, I believe, at Nemo Design in Portland. So as you might imagine with a CV like that, Lumen's got a wealth of anecdotes and experiences and I had a right old laugh during this conversation actually which like I say took place at Nemo HQ in Portland. Now Nemo is a proper legendary agency has had a hand in some of the defining creative action sports stories of the age from Nike SB to Robot Food. I've got some mates who work there and I've wanted to visit for years so it was great to check it out firsthand and we were made to feel very welcome so thank you everybody at Nemo for that. Um, but really The main reason I'd laugh doing this is because I got to talk shop in unashamedly geeky fashion with a fellow writer who, apart from the work on massive Hollywood films and MTV series, obviously, has had a career path that's pretty similar to mine. And um, it was great to sort of find out more about Lumen's career and uh, compare notes, which is what we did. As ever with these episodes, this one's a story of how somebody's carved out a unique career in this industry and had a riot doing it. Catch you at the end, but in the meantime, here's me and Mark Lumen. Enjoy. How you doing? Copacetic. Yeah? Yeah. What does that mean? It means <laughs> okie dokie. How's your day going? 
Today is typical um, in that I don't know what's coming at me next. Right. I came in early, um, sped to work. Okay. And uh, got here to help make the coffee and imbibe some of the coffee. And Yeah. Um, How many coffees in are you today? Two. Yeah. I, that's kind of my mid-morning limit, really. Yep. Start getting a bit edgy after that. Uh, so we're at Nemo, we should say as well, Nemo Design um, in the middle of Portland. And how long have you worked here? Since 2005. Okay. And what, what's your actual title? I'm a partner and a creative director. Okay. So how, what, what does that entail? What's the day-to-day look like? You show up ready to take on whatever challenge is coming at you. Yeah. So what are those challenges looking like now? What you got on? Uh, working on some television and video concepting for Icon Pass. Uh, yeah, right, because you, you did the brand for that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, helping plan an end-of-the-year celebration for Nemo. We had a good... This is our 20th year in business. Right. So got to come out with some uh, something strong at the end of the year to let everyone know who yeah. is part of our team, that we appreciate them. And we do we do it every year, but... This year, as in like you do a big it's celebration, a more, big big party. Uh, yeah, yeah. I always see like Halloween pictures of you guys. There's that. We have events yeah. here and so forth. Because it's what? What are you like? 40, 40 strong? Forty fifty? Thirty five. Okay, right. And how is it like a creative agency, a design agency? Is that how you a brand design agency? A brand yeah. design agency. Yep. Yeah, because I know Trevor from his snowboarding years. Um, and have interviewed him for a couple of the British magazines in the past. So always kind of like seen, and also from like the robot food films, that was you guys, right, back in the day? Yeah, yeah. So obviously kind of always, I was aware of like the crossover with that, that world that seems to be kind of almost built into the DNA of this place a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We um, came about, Nemo was founded by um, Jeff Bartel, Trevor Graves, Chris Holtz who were the instrumental figures in Moro snowboarding. And Moro was built up as a brand in, in snowboarding, like a pioneer snow brand, and it uh, went public. Yeah, I remember, because when Moro came out, it was at the time that, you know, you had like Burton and Sims that were like the kind of big banner brands, weren't they? And it was a bit, it was almost like a bit of a disruptor, wasn't it, Moro, when it came out? Like yeah. a, a little upstart brand, you know? Yeah. With like a little separate kind of stance to the rest of the industry. And, you know, when you go public, um, that's when things start to get interesting. Yeah. Got them with the days, weren't they? Yeah. Snowboard brands going public. So one of the next steps after they went public was, what is all this marketing stuff that we're paying for? And how can we... Right. I oh, so that was the inception. How, how can we um, cut, some, cut some costs? And uh, lo and behold, you have three gentlemen out on the street, unemployable right yeah um so let's start a communications agency right and that was that was the dubious beginnings right so how did you get involved because you came a bit later right? i came in 2005 so they've been um evolving from um a small small start a humble start yeah and uh the big opportunity in 2005 was obviously nike is here in portland and Nike had made various inroads and attempts into action sports um, over the years preceding uh, about 2005. They, they had the aspiration to do um, 
a multi-action sports brand for a like a larger audience yeah um and that brand was called nike 6.0 yeah that was like this almost like second crack at it wasn't it yeah they've had a few waves haven't they of yeah like, we're gonna we're gonna do that market kind of thing yep yeah and so i was brought on to creative direct that okay and um trevor and i it's, it's interesting i used to buy photos from trevor um because our backgrounds are similar in that we both came out of uh, editorial yeah storytelling and pu publishing print magazines sure so um we were we were at an event and uh trevor and i ran across each other and um lo and behold it was a uh, what are you doing up here what are you doing what have you been up to and right found out that um nemo had been started and and it was thriving and they were right at the point they needed somebody with a little different take on how to build a marketing program and right so you got your experience from from this editorial um, background that you're talking about yeah to to sort of get to that position where are you from then originally i grew up in kalamazoo michigan okay wow literally never heard of that you've never heard of it. it's probably uh not on a lot of people's radars um and in, in the 19 80s when I was coming up in my my youth um, you know it's far from the west coast energy yeah of a lot of action sports um, surf skate snow I mean it was all focused BMX. west wasn't it all of it was kind of felt like it was coming out of the west coast yeah or or at least to me that's where I so um, I mean that's interesting because growing up as kids in in the UK obviously I mean I I'm 43 now so I and I first got into skateboarding probably 88 89 and you know there was there was there was like a little nascent skate industry in the uk there's a couple of magazines and there was stuff going on really but obviously there's no real like surf industry no real snowboard industry at all so like it was all pointed to the west coast like you know like if you're into those cultures and sport the only media that you had obviously was that and that was the story that was being told so was it quite similar for you coming from the midwest then yeah for sure um i grew up racing bmx so you're on a starting gate with yeah. eight, eight people. The gate drops. You have about 30 seconds to sprint through the course and get yeah. to the end and be first. Um, and I sucked at that. Right. It took me years and years and years to, to make a final, you know, right. to win, win races and things like that. It took a long time. Why did you first see BMX then? Um, it was a thing that was just happening in our neighborhood. Yeah. And it evolved from kids on stingrays and kind of department store bikes riding in vacant lots to hey there's an organized place you can go and, and compete the neighbors uh down the street found out about a track and they invited me to go right um i guess at a time like quite a exotic thing really as well yeah yeah it took a while to distill and make its way from uh california out to yeah kalamazoo but when uh, I discovered this sport, it was more than just a, co a competitive thing. It was a community of people. Yeah. And, you know, it was freedom. The bike represented a way to um, disappear and go challenge yourself and dig ditches and holes in the ground. Yeah. Something. Hook yourself off of those. An escape from. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in a parallel track. uh BMX racing is happening and um, some of the coverage in these BMX magazines began to include 
people doing tricks on bikes, riding skate parks, doing flatland tricks on 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 um, in the street. So is that evolving at the same at the same time as like the racing? Yeah, it, it just kind of sp- spun out of the racing. Okay, and uh, that that began to look really interesting to me and my friends um, in Kalamazoo. We started skateboarding and listening to different kinds of music. Yeah, the music goes hand the, in hand, doesn't it? With that? Yeah, a little more of a of um, this lifestyle approach. You know, we just consumed whatever media we could, yeah. and all the brands that were um, at the genesis of this just seemed really intriguing to us. And um, as a subscriber to a magazine called uh, bicycle motocross action bmx action that was kind of the the bible of bmx they did an experiment to test the waters on a new kind of magazine called freestyling yeah and freestyling was obviously all the tricks and street and vert riding and so forth and um i got a sample copy of it in the in the mail and as soon as I opened it, it was just speaking to me. I had um, a connection to the to the voice and tone and the photography. Okay. And had you been interested in that before? Yeah, that was that was slowly taking over my interest from racing, and you know I wanted to ride ride the the college campus with my friends or go and just do non competitive, you know, more yeah. expressive and sort of self guided. And had you like been? interested in like expressing yourself through through that media before as well it sounds like it was the you know that like the you said the tone like specifically spoke to you like did you did you kind of think you identified with that role almost that you could maybe do that communicate in that way well it was not very well planned it was all serendipitous but by the time i was a senior in high school i was one of the last people in my scene that still rode bikes i was a paper boy because i got to ride my bicycle to deliver the news um hadn't made plans for college right hadn't really figured out what i wanted to do in life and um i got a a stationary and stamp (laughs) envelope kit right from my mom for graduating high school and this was the intent was write thank you notes to all your relatives who came to your graduation open house and thank them be the good son yeah and uh, I, I failed to do so. Right. But I had all this stationery and, and so forth. And at the same time, I'm getting this magazine, Freestyling, delivered to my house. And um, I decide, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use all this stationery and I'm going to write letters to the editor. Right. And um, never written anything before. And for a month, month and a half, I would just sent him, you know, here's a mixtape of bands from Chicago that we're listening to. Right. Maybe it was more confessional, like, hey, we just stole a bunch of plywood from this construction site, and here's the ramp we built. Yeah. (laughs) Or, um, hey, we're going to put on a demo at our local shop, and um, these are the, here's the flyer for it, you know? Like, just random correspondence that was unprovoked. And after about a month, month and a half, I get a letter back. Right. From the editor who said essentially you're a you're a freak but you're funny <laughs> yeah and He's, let's let's reply to the annoying kid who keeps writing to us yeah, yeah he sent stickers and um the guy's name was andy jenkins he was, right he was a young man himself he was 22 years old how old were you at this point 17 okay and he said here's here's the idea 
we're growing as a as a publication and we need um some 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 help on the staff yeah we're going to give you a freelance assignment and if this works out there might be a desk in california waiting for you wow okay so my first assignment was to review a pro- like it was a product test of a mark gonzalez vision signature board right it's a good first gig isn't it yeah <laughs> um kind of weird because yeah freestyling <clears throat> as a spin-off of bmx action you know they took this um analytical approach to reviewing products and right you'd, you'd weigh and measure and create kind okay. of like a, a Pre, um, pre-geeky automotive industry yeah. inspired review of products pretty and dry by the sounds of it no it, it was open to creative interpretation but that was kind of the the, the vibe yeah um and to do that with a skateboard seemed like what am i gonna <laughs> yeah yeah okay well, we'll weigh it yeah <laughs> But I did my best, yeah. and uh, they thought it was they thought it was adequate enough. Yeah, right. <laughs> to to say, hey, would you be interested in in moving out here? And wow, seventeen. I immediately like gave away all my stuff. Yeah, <laughs> got a cardboard box, hopped on a plane one way out to California. Right, and uh, started my journey as a as a writer, a storyteller. That's great. I've got quite a similar. It's interesting listening to that because I run with a big group of friends like run snowboarding magazines for a long time in the UK and that I kind of got into it in a similar way I, I wrote letters to like everybody I could think of at the time it's quite you know and it's it's dated and analog now isn't it it's actually like handwrite letters and, and send, oh, yeah. send them but I remember like I had this real shitty job and every lunchtime would go to the news agent and like get the magazines and like flick through like write down the names and the address and then I did that to the magazine that I ended up working for as well it's quite funny yeah, it's like I think there's a lot of people in our journalism backgrounds that did similar things, right? Yeah. Just find your way. Um, there's this beacon of energy that you're attracted to. Yeah. That just draws people towards it, whether it, it's um, event promotion or a brand, yeah. or editorial um, vehicle. People just kind of come out of the the environment and, and head head towards it and uh did you have the confidence to well you obviously did but where did that confidence to kind of make it up in that way come from then because it's quite a, a you know when you're that age like that is a confident thing isn't it to be like right i'm going to write to these people and do this and like, you know where, where were you getting that from mountain dew and minor threat <laughs> <laughs> that's the title um <laughs> You know, the the idea of um, getting on a bicycle or getting on a skateboard and and um, sort of testing yourself to see what you can do, and it's all about adapting to what your environment puts in front of you. Yeah. You know, like I can jump up on this object and jump off of it and do something new that nobody's ever done before, and so that that. Uh, it's sort of part of your DNA and just seeing this box of stationery and knowing, okay, there's, there's something I can, I can create with this. Yeah. Um, I want to create a, a connection with somebody because I'm feeling like th- we would have a lot in common, just some of the cues I'm reading and his writing and, and, um, picking up in this magazine, you know, I wanted to reach, reach out and say, thank you yeah. for all this great inspiration. And, um, 
and by the way, here's here's what we're up to. Yeah. And I don't think it was really in my mind like I want to get a job or I want us to get covered in the in the in the I, magazine. I'm going to create some content. Yeah. It wasn't that. Yeah. It was a little more naive and um, humble. You know, it's just like thank thank you. Yeah. More more over. So where was the where was the move to? You said Southern California to Torrance, California, um, South Bay area. Okay. You know, there was a few people on the staff. I got plugged in with a guy named Craig Barrett, who was um, looking for a roommate at the time. He was the editor of BMX Action, the, the racing magazine. Yep. He and I just hit it off and uh, got a two-bedroom apartment and uh, started my journey as an official editorial staff member at, at Wizard Publications. Right. So how long did that last? Uh, five years. And did you do, like, pretty much everything? But, you know, that was kind of also how it was in those firms, right? Yeah. Wear, wear all the hats, learn how, how it all works. It was kind of Lord of the Flies. Like the magazine right. had been established by a guy named Bob Osborne who had an amazing um, set of skills. Like as a photographer, he was incredible. Right. Documenting the sport as a promoter. He realized um, he was there at the genesis of BMX when it was really like a kind of a wild thing that was coming out of motocross racing. Um, and he realized I needed to get this promoted in a way and and um, tell these stories. So he started a newsletter and then he started a Slick Magazine and right. he began to really think about like distributing that magazine around the world and that's a real visionary thing isn't it yeah for, it that, took for, it, for those times took it out of like backyards and made it feel larger than life yeah um and he was beginning to get interested in other things fine art photography and so he hired people that were uh, less about their journalism chops and more about the enthusiasm and the Curiosity. commitment to the lifestyle okay to run the run the magazines yeah um and uh so we were we were a small editorial crew um really left left mostly alone right from the business side of it and and um our jobs were to just go out and participate in the culture and document what we saw and uh you know, there was events and products coming out and um, people that, that were doing new things. And at the time, 85, 86, 87, that era, it just seemed like there was a lot of um, innovation and new things coming out all the time. Like from a product standpoint, there was people really like innovating and... and, and um, creating new ways to do do what they did right on, on their bikes and um yeah there was always something going on you know yeah so you were able to take full advantage of the culture that you're in then by the sounds of it yeah just part of it is just having a little bit of that curious add of like what's next yeah what, <laughs> that shiny thing over there yeah let's point a camera at it and ask it questions and so you were filming as well as, as you were doing everything. No, nah, I, I had a camera, but I was terrible as a photographer. Right. Okay. Um, so that lasted five years, did you say? A little, little more than that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you're starting to kind of like presumably grow the network and the kind of modern way you'd put it, but like, you know, meet, meet people and create those foundations. 
well, for, for like the next stage, maybe? I mean, one of the things we did there, um, we started, uh, call it a fan club for BMX, um, and it was called Club Homeboy. And it started out, um, there was a photocopy machine, there was, you know, fancy office equipment in this warehouse. We had a coffee machine, <laughs> and a Xerox machine, or fax machine, and so, how do we make use of these things what what fun can we have on this right um, and uh, f- figured out how to how to make a zine and one night i get uh it's on deadline or something and left some of my my spreads for the zine in the in the copier on the on the glass and the boss comes back from a trip and he's in the office early and he finds this stuff and he's like what what is this right and I had to explain, well, this is part of a zine and these are things we do to mail to kids who write in and, and um, I thought he was gonna be mad. Right. And he's like, wait a minute. So you're doing a magazine and then you found a way to do another kind of magazine, another right. publication yeah. for, for the <clears throat> super fans. I go, yeah, I guess that's what it is. And he's like, well, we should, we should do something with that. Right. Um, and as a joke, I had an ad in the back of my zine for a thing called Club Homeboy that was, you know, send send $2 for stickers kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, he's like, what if that was a real club? And from there, we began to do T-shirts and, you know, it was the 80s, so we sold berets. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Have you still got it? Have you still got the... Uh, I, I, probably somewhere in my attic. I got yeah, some, yeah. some bits that's, and bobs. That's but, amazing. Um, and out of that, we started a magazine called Homeboy. Yeah, that was larger format. It was um, more like a like an interview magazine at the time, or Spin or Rolling Stone. They had these large format um, pages, and we wanted to cover not only action sports but fringe culture, people that were into art and zine making and painting and photography and music and things like that that were just sort of part of the yeah so you broadened it basically yeah and that's um, quite a quite ahead of its time really for that for that era isn't it yeah is that you know that that kind of came early 90s that there was more magazines and outlets if you like that that covered that territory but it wasn't really anything like that you know five years earlier was there really it was new to us yeah for sure um so who are you working on that with uh, through Wizard Publications, the editorial staff yeah. um, all contributed to it, and unfortunately, it didn't it didn't work. Right, like the Too ahead of commercial side, um, you know, we needed Levi's and Pringles potato chips and yeah, um, Gatorade and Pepsi and those kind of brands to 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 take it somewhere because the industry, the bike industry, wanted like a purist bike magazine, and the yeah. skate industry kind of wanted a you know, they had Thrasher and Transworld and that that sort of thing. So it didn't really fit any, didn't didn't tick enough boxes for anybody um, other than us as, yeah. as a, a staff. Our, our gut said, wow, this is really interesting and different. And um, our readers, we got, we got a few people that really like stepped up and, and um, reached out and just said this is this is different it's awesome please keep doing it and uh, 
so while it was a uh, six issues, a couple years in, it was a not a commercial success. It was kind of a spiritual success. Yeah, and uh, we we decided we would try again. Okay, um, and around that time, we we're also getting a little. I don't know if bored is the right word, but um, felt like we were getting a little repetitive with the, the the way we'd approach creating the BMX side of the editorial. Yeah, I've I've got a little pet theory on that. I think I think five years max in those jobs. Yeah, I think like it's really hard to do those jobs and keep the freshness. Yeah, for and and not start retreading not. Uh, not so only retreading new ground, but also to just become a, because they're pretty, you know, they're quite nice numbers as well. Those jobs, aren't they? You know, they're quite cushy creatively. You can do, you can do interesting things. And I think, I, I always think you can get a bit comfy in them, you know, a bit comfortable. Yeah. <clears throat> complacency is always the, the, the enemy, right? Yeah. You want to keep moving and look, look down, down at the next thing. Yeah. Especially um, in this culture, because it's basically the lifeblood, isn't it? You know? Yeah. I, I did appreciate the cadence of having a monthly magazine yeah. to put out. And um, it's a great privilege like, at, to have that outlet. At one point it was 180 pages monthly. Yeah. yeah when and there was money. <laughs> four or five people on the staff working on that. That was a lot of responsibility. Yeah. For yeah. Somebody. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot to put out. Yeah. It's a lot of ideas every month. Right. Um, but eventually all good things must change. You yeah. Know? And um, what happened was one of these readers we had, um, back in the eighties in, in the print world, you had these, these, um, blow in subscription cards yeah. <laughs> that were put into all magazines. Yeah. And, um, one of the boxes you could tick was bill me later. Right. And one of our readers, one of our cheeky little readers grabbed a ton of these bounce back or these blowback, uh, blown in subscription cards. And signed us up to every kind of magazine you could think of. We're getting funny. them every uh, month. We're getting a mail <laughs> bin full of. Um, That's a great gag. Like Hog Farmer Monthly yeah. and um, Insurance Actuaries, right? Times and um, just all these random magazines were showing up, addressed to us, and um, we're just kind of bewildered and, yeah. and uh, amused. But one of the magazines was a. Uh, coming out of New York City, it was called Sassy, and it was a general interest magazine for young women, for teenage girls. And uh, but it was really different than kind of what was out on the newsstands, right? Aiming at teenage teenagers, you know. Um, the tone was great. They covered cool music. It was very real and down to earth, and. Um, so I wrote wrote a letter to the editors and sent them some copies of Homeboy and kind of asked a question of, of um, why isn't there a boys version? Right. And uh, over the course of a year, got to know the editors and um, they said, we well, should ask our, our publisher that. And so we got a chance to pitch a new idea for a magazine that was a uh, general interest magazine for young men. Um, and he told us no. Right. He's like, nope, there's a recession coming and it's an unproven idea. And 
why don't you guys get it going on your own and, and um, maybe I'll buy it from you. Right. That's, that's, that sounds like a publisher. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Right, you take all the risk. And, and, and then if it's a success, I'll come in and like, help you out. And what happened next was uh, he had an interview with somebody from the Wall Street Journal or something. And the editor was asking, um, hey, Sassy Magazine has got it high circulation in the millions it's taking off it's exploded why isn't there a, a version of this for guys why isn't there a teenage boys magazine on the newsstands and our publisher at, at the time sees this moment and said oh i've interviewed a staff already i've got a table of contents in the works we're going to press we're doing spring. it <laughs> right and then uh then they called us back and said Good news. Good news, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we we kind of lucked into this next opportunity. Uh, we got to publish a magazine called Dirt. That right. was general interest for young men. So and, that's where uh, that came from. Yeah, and, and right. the, the spirit of Homeboy magazine. Bigger platform. Kind of carried us into, yeah, higher higher circulations in front of, in front of more people and... Um, just for us as as storytellers, myself and Andy Jenkins and Spike Jones were the core staff of Dirt. Yeah. And um, it was a chance to kind of go and use this as a vehicle to to grow. Yeah. You know, we had been in BMX and skateboarding all our all our lives. Yeah. And now it was time to who do we want to meet? Who do we want to get? Right, um, get it, to be, participate in this magazine. And sure. So it was that kind of we're going to broaden it. You you were, you were kind of ambitious to do that. Yeah, exactly. For the creative opportunities, really that, yep. that it offered. Right. Yep. And how long had you three been working together then? Andy and I <coughs> since 1985 hired Spike in '87. Right. And his initial job was to be a writer because the magazine was growing. We needed more help on the editorial. Yeah to get these stories done and look luckily for us spike brought a camera with him when he moved from bethesda maryland to uh, torrance california and fightful yeah uh we had a dark room and a, a refrigerator full of uh t-max black and white film right so that was the team so yeah. and so how, how long did dirt last then or how long did you did you work on that uh i want to say it had a similar trajectory is homeboy almost it, right it was around for eight issues maybe and um not every issue even got published there was a couple that were held right really <laughs> i would say by the print by the by the by the publisher by the publisher what, exactly. just because the content was too inflammatory i think some of the content was too much for what he was ready to do right uh, to support but for us you know we were young men we were I was 22 when we started it. Yeah. Um, we were just using our instincts to find things that we felt our readership was going to resonate and, and celebrate. So Right. So did you guys, how long did you guys work together as a trio then? Because uh, the, the rare things that, because that, there's not a great deal about you, about you online. Like when you do when you research these things, but that, those, you know, the, that, that creative partnership does come up a fair amount. Andy went on to help uh, start Girl Skateboards, yeah. which Spike's a partner in. Um, and he, Andy was part of Girl for 
23 years. He was the creative director. Um, Spike obviously went on to do music video and, and film. Um, and over the years, it's been sporadic, but we still collaborate once in a while. Right. Okay. So you've, you've kept that that partnership from from back then like when when the need arises or there's a good opportunity to do it yeah and of course we keep in touch as friends and yeah how's it going what's happening with your life so is this when you started to kind of because it's a bit of a classic thing isn't it to, to start an editorial and then start working with brands and you know you've described really well how it's almost like an intuitive understanding of the market and what the market's going to be interested in you know that's what you were doing really in this editorial period and then the natural thing is to kind of start working with brands or consulting on different projects. Is that kind of how it went for you from that point? Yeah, essentially. Um, after Dirt, one of the things we did while we were at Dirt was we um, got to know the band, the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Uh, and these guys had a lot of entrepreneurial energy going on around them with, with Grand Royal, their label, and they launched a magazine called yeah. Grand Royal. Classic. I obviously remember it. It was yeah. a huge, huge thing at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. We started, um, we, we helped them get that going out of the offices of Dirt. And then uh, after a couple of years and a couple of issues, the, the founding editor um, moved on and they asked me to be the editor of Grand Royal. So... I did that for a couple of years. I was doing a lot of music journalism at the same time. And um, one of the things I learned during my, my, um, my time on that was uh, print is going to be a hard business to stay. <laughs> yeah, even then. To stay uh, solvent in. Yeah. Because um, how long did Grand Royal run for? It wasn't that long, was it, as I remember? Like the the magazine, I mean, like was it was it a few years, like three or four years? Probably ninety four to ninety five to ninety nine. Yeah, maybe. So it's a pretty pretty short run, really. Yeah, and, and you were intuiting that things were going to change at that point. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, my wife and I had a daughter, and knowing I could get into um, see some cool bands and get tons of CDs and listen to great music and that sort of thing became secondary to how do I have a way to put put a child through life you know yeah yeah <laughs> put food on the table and that'll, have, that'll change uh, it pay for diapers and health insurance and things like that so it's time to grow up a little bit yeah and um, uh, this is kind of a funny story um, I lived in Long Beach, California at the time I was doing Grand Royal, and that was where the action sports retailer trade show was held every year. Yeah. And um, I remember going into the, the, the ASR show. Um, Johnny Knoxville and I both went, and we both had our kids at around the same time, with right. our daughters, and um, we had them in uh, Baby Bjorn. <laughs> Yeah. You know, strapped to our chest. Classic. Uh, walking the trade show floor with infants in tow. Yeah. And um, one of the guys I ran into at the show was a good friend of mine named uh, Sin Agelja, who was a founder of Airwalk. He was a creative uh, visionary and um, 
he was not the founder, but he was one of the people who was instrumental in Airwalk growing. Yeah. And um, he was, he was uh, on, a, on a track in his career where Airwalk was really blowing up, and um, he was the vice president of design or something at that point. And this footwear brand had, had just expanded with the help of um, a lot of things. Culture, culturally, I think action sports was getting more and more accepted in the mainstream and yeah. the culture. Um, but they, Airwalk had hired an agency down in San Diego called Lambesis. And Sin had asked me what I was up to at, you know, when we met in the booth. And um, I said, you know, I'm looking for a new a new frontier and he said oh you should talk to my uh my friends at the agency that is helping us out he arranged an interview for me down there and um that's that's really how i got my my opportunity in understanding how to make branding and marketing and strategy all work together you know i, I came in pretty naive thinking right. um i'm a copywriter i've put out 9,000 pages of editorial. I know how to tell a story. Yeah. How, how hard can it be to write? Just do it. That's three words, you know? No yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, it's like uh, that editorial kind of arrogance as well, isn't there? Like totally. This, this is like, this is the real creativity in this industry. You know, yeah. Everybody, especially at that age when you're on that side of it, can be a little bit, you use the word naive, didn't you? But scathing as well, you know, of that, of that side of it. Bit yeah. dismissive almost yeah you know. and um but i was also really hungry to learn how yeah. is this done what are the mechanisms you need to create to um to build a machine like airwalk had gone from um 30 million dollar multi-action sports brand to a 300 plus million dollar youth youth brand yeah movement really and and uh how did that work you yeah know? So I, d I dove in and, uh, you know, there's some hundred hour weeks yeah. trying to put a lot of effort into it to make sure it was done right. And, um, I could pick up, pick up what I needed to pick up as a, I came in as a copywriter and, um, after about six months I got promoted to associate creative director and then finally creative director. So what kind of things were you working on by them? Um, Airwalk was the main reason I got hired. And yeah. then um, there was a bunch of other ancillary uh, fashion industry work like BB, women's clothing, Renaissance Cosmetics. Um, eventually, uh, Sky Vodka came in and we're launching a new approach in, in spirits. Right. So... You know, it was different. It was outside of my, my normal wheelhouse, but it was also interesting from a how do you how do you organize a, a group of twenty five creative people in in a a linear way to make yeah <laughs> to make a deadline and to build a, a case for what you want to support creatively. Were you still working on, on editorial as well? No, not so you totally. Not so much. You totally crossed over. Yeah. Because am I right in thinking you also were involved with Big Brother at some point as well? Yeah, during that era of yeah. um, Dirt and and uh, after Dirt when I was working in, in um, music, I was a contributor to Big Brother and a lot of a lot of publications. Yeah, because that was 
you know edgy editorial heyday really in a lot of ways wasn't it like what those titles were doing and you know boundary pushing in a lot of ways yeah yeah because it again in the uk we kind of saw it and knew it was there even like grand royals magazine you know but you couldn't really get them that much it was more like the idea of them that became important you you might see the occasional copy of big brother or obviously we get the films and stuff but it wasn't that easily consumable for us really i think there's something really great about that um the fact that media moved slower and it left more up to the imagination in yeah kind of the end users and um that that had a huge effect on me you know when i was growing up in kalamazoo yeah you almost had to join the dots in a way yeah and it and it forced you to to um to just make a creative leap of faith how to participate and what it what it was about you know yeah um, and i think that created a lot of um diversity in the way people acted and dressed and behaved and it was different you um, had to kind of find your own story in a way but from those component parts right yeah as like and it, and you could almost be a little bit more individual in a way by the way you express yourself yeah take this band you know this magazine this person you know skater whoever that wasn't necessarily being rammed down your throat you had to sort of search a little bit more right and it wasn't so instant and ubiquitous you know you yeah. couldn't look up on youtube and follow a how-to or see somebody's clip and like oh, i want to emulate that and be that yeah um, well music as well i yeah. mean you know i remember hearing about just one example like can you know like and literally never heard a record for like 10 years but you know you knew the idea of this band that like stood for this thing and almost counted yourself as a fan like you know one example whatever for the for what it stood for like the idea of it as opposed to whereas now obviously which is brilliant you know you can just go online and there it all is you know see every video hear every song it's definitely um a different way of expressing yourself i think as as the consumer and presumably also as the creator at that time yeah i feel lucky and grateful that um i was part of this generation that got to experience that pre-internet yeah so how has it changed just while we're on this little topic like um did it change the way that you approached your work like this new means of distribution the fact that suddenly like you use the word ubiquitous like it is just easily accessible um yeah i mean it's it's changes the theme right yeah it's always about adapting to what's the context you're in how can you do something that's going to be interesting and creative and expressive and um take what you have to give based on where you're at and what what tools you have you know yeah um that's never that's never changed but it's always about change you know whether it's um you're doing it on a bike or a skateboard or a snowboard or with a guitar or with a xerox machine yeah or a, or a printing press you know yeah 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 or a video camera or a well those restrictions almost create the circumstances for expression don't they in a lot of ways you know the the especially if you look a bit further back like we're saying like that limited palette almost you know is a big contributory factor to what you end up with isn't it yeah yeah whereas obviously now it's i mean it's funny isn't it because you know you've talked a couple of times or alluded to a couple of times like distribution issues or like finance issues to like projects that you worked on and at the time they're obviously like very real problems which you don't really 
you can surmount much more easily these days especially like distribution obviously you can just put something out and yeah the power is and that's incredible. a great that's a great thing isn't it yeah but it's a different thing definitely you still need a good story you yeah. still need a good um, set of values and guiding beacon to get you inspired and you still need um whether the, the technology is different the foundational stuff is still what matters at the end you know yeah so i guess that's the answer isn't it that's that is what's never changed really in terms of the approach yeah and another thing i'm grateful of is just having come from an era of a sport that forced us to be creative and and um it wasn't about having a big budget or having a lot of um resources it was it was just small yeah and um you know if you wanted to do something you had to figure it out your your yourself and and um collaborate with people and yeah find a way this, yeah find a way exactly yeah so you mentioned johnny knoxville because you were quite involved with that jackass era of work as well right well the the tv series got started um by spike was involved in that yeah our friend jeff tremaine who was a uh, art director at wizard publications yeah and he, he actually went to high school with spike um so that's how we got to know jeff right brought, brought him out to california to to be part of our world um and then jeff started editing uh big brother magazine yeah and it was that world of um taking a humorous approach to and a provoke you know provoking things yeah uh, to see what would happen <laughs> yeah uh and and doing big brother videos that really like started the idea of um maybe there's something we could bring to a broad audience yeah i remember seeing the um first time i ever saw johnny knoxville and even was where those films is the bulletproof fast getting, yeah getting shot yeah that was the shot that was heard around the world yeah you know i was and that was one of those things that we're talking about where you couldn't really see it but you found that thing because you know over the other side of the atlantic whatever like it's like have you seen this yeah <laughs> like what is this the knoxville was a contributor to um he was he was a freelance journalist and an actor right um and a contributor to big brother and that's kind of how he met jeff and um i think spike's connections within the production world and all the music videos he'd been doing right made him um conduit to get into mtv sure yeah so you had the kind of perfect set of circumstances for it to go the way it did really yeah and it took those guys a long time to get um people to understand what they were trying to do and they had a lot of um strikeouts you know sure to pitch their demo reel and um eventually mtv took a gamble on it and uh i think they they were only on for 22 episodes on television right and really, so it's really short isn't it you know, yeah you kind of think of it as like this that's that's almost hilarious isn't it like such a legendary thing but such a short run really yeah and they just were like this is this is about how much we want to do and um not get into this uh rut of repeating <laughs> yeah so much you know yeah and um so you must have worked with dave carney big brother yeah yeah because i he i used to well still do love his writing like, yeah he's great he's brilliant yeah and that like when i was starting my career you know a bit younger than you guys like that 
was something that we really looked up to like expression no fucks given but very erudite very smart as well because it was it was quite rare as well really you know in the industry there's a lot of dumb stuff out there but that was like clever and dumb in a way dumb on purpose yeah what's he doing then that's just a geeky little I question just, really i just saw a video that he directed yesterday a commercial for um like a real estate digital real estate product and the commercial oh, really? had um mike mcgill and tony hawk in it no way yeah right okay just shared that yesterday with uh trevor okay so he's still still around still yep. doing stuff we must be getting to the point then when you ended up here in portland with nemo yeah well i'll tell you um absorbing all this how to how to create um, an omni-channel brand campaign and how to do research and how to do highly polished attention to every detail creative executions was it was uh it was awesome it was great to learn and after a f about three years in something started to just feel a little wrong to me really yeah um and on the surface everything is going well i'm getting promoted i'm making more money than i ever made yeah i got a um a little stucco tract home that looks like ten thousand other stucco tract homes in north county san diego yeah you know occasionally i'm driving home at night and i drive past it and have to like back up the car to find my driveway because yeah it's identical yeah of, yeah and the 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 trappings of successful Southern California living feel both, all right, we're doing great. Yeah. Got a small family, got um, a, a good job to go to, but it's not really fulfilling a need I have to be, um, I don't know, telling stories with more conviction and purpose and being part of a community that I feel a little more connected to, you know? Which sounds like it was a real, basically, f common theme throughout the work you've always done. Yeah, I mean, I was grateful to be uh, invited in and to get a, to get a chance to take a non-traditional approach into an industry and, and grow. Yeah. But it was also, there's some things about it that just felt a little artificial or, right. you know, um, and so I decided with, with my wife, we had a talk and I said, you know, I just want to, let's make a change, let's right. make, a, make a change that is purposeful. So um, we sold our house, quit my job, sold our house. It, it sold in uh, four days. <laughs> we bought one-way tickets to Costa Rica with um, our daughters were like one and two. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, we rented a, a house in Montezuma on the beach and used that as a base and traveled around Costa Rica just to look look at this volcano and the lava down in the in the core and look at the the monkey in the tree and look at the amazing break just rumbling out there. It sounds nice. Um, <laughs> it was it was cool. It was also very difficult when your child needs a diaper change yeah black bean <laughs> yeah yeah lunch running down her shirt you need to go to the clinic to get um 
antibiotics and you don't speak Spanish very well and yeah trying to communicate through pantomiming and like finding a taxi driver to interpret a little bit for you and you know after after some time kind of landed on what I needed to do next right okay um, and that was the point of that was to, to disconnect yeah and find um, take the time find out what the next step was gonna be yeah it's a and nice I, thing to do yeah and, and it was it came down to a couple simple ideas like I need to do things that matter with people that I like to be around yeah people I respect and people that I get inspired by so we came back to the States after a f- few months got in our car kept everything in storage got in our car and drove on a 17 state six week road trip looking for where we wanted to live really and um ended up in eugene oregon uh had great trees nice tension between like the youth at the at the university of oregon the arts and music scene was cool they had a lot of um heritage and like original or like, it's like the nike founding town, yeah isn't it? yep nike yeah. was founded there yeah some anarchists you know this is a cool yeah. mix, mix of um, people and it was small enough to feel like it was very different from the monoculture of southern california you know, yeah it was like original and and um, manageable a bit more depth to it yeah yeah and uh so out of Eugene, Oregon, I started to work on uh, the first call I get is from my old friend, Matt Hoffman, who's a BMX icon. Yeah, yeah. And he said, hey, I just landed a book deal and I need an author to co-write my book. Do you want to do that with me? Um, yes. Yeah. And then uh, Jackass, the TV series has ended, but Jackass, the movie is starting and um, got a chance to contribute to that, to that stuff and to um, Wild Boys, the... Steve-O and Chris Pontius uh, series for MTV2. Um, and then here and there, I'm starting to pick off like brand consultancy, marketing consultancy work. And, um, you know, it's getting back in carefully with projects. and, and Choosing um, the right stuff to work on. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, you, you characterized it really well, like things that interest you, people that you like being with you know like to paraphrase so like those like use that as like the guiding kind of principle if you like yeah i mean it doesn't need to be that complicated you know? yeah it's just um are you trying to do something meaningful and authentic and, and yeah inspiring and additive you know not disruptive and and um intrusive yeah and uh that's how when i ran into trevor at we were at this um Tony Hawk was doing that tour, the Boom Boom Hawk Jam tour. Yeah, and um, you know it was like a like a perfect moment where Nemo needed someone that had a little bit of the background I had, and um, obviously the the lineage and the DNA of Trevor and Jeff and Chris, who started Nemo. Um, it was it was just like a nice, nice fit and yeah, um, good synchronicity to it. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, I've got one more question for you. That's sure. all right. Um, which is kind of linked to your creative ambitions, really. You, you know, obviously you've described like a long career, like a lot of different projects, like a lot of expression in different ways. Do you have any creative ambitions left that you haven't fulfilled? Yeah. Um, I mean, every day I have a different set of uh, 
things they want to do. And that's one of the, it's almost like a drug you get addicted to, you know, you can be anything, you can do anything. What do you want to be and what do you want to do? And what problems are coming at you that you have to find a, a solution for? Um, so that in itself, that change, that constant progression and evolution is, is um, something that I think never, never leaves you if you grow up with that, you know? Yeah. Um, but if you're asking specifically, do I want to maybe learn to <laughs> podcast or code or make furniture? Pod, or I mean, you know, the world needs more podcasts. Like some, for sure. Something like that. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. That's my answer. Yeah. Good answer. Thanks for doing it, man. Thank you. Yeah. So there you go. That was me and Mark Lumen, and I hope you enjoyed it. Big thanks, like I said at the start, to my friend Chris at Same Old Magazine for suggesting that one, and to my even older friend Jen Shirowski for facilitating that one. Really great catching up with some old mates at Nemo and to check out and to kick off my Portland account with such a general and wide-ranging conversation. Pretty pertinent too, really, because housekeeping corner segue alert. One of the things I've been doing this autumn is uh, well writing which has been really nice because it's been a while since I've been able to wear the old journalism hat. Um, I did write a big piece in the new White Lines magazine, which was really good fun. I've been to review The Wave in Bristol for Metro, which is a UK newspaper. And I've also been privileged to help my friend Taz Hagar with the latest volume of Curator this winter, which is super good fun and uh, ace to be back in the Snow magazine game. I've also been working with another friend of mine, Matt George, on his amazing triple project, which I recently mentioned in the newsletter. So Matt is a snowboard photographer who put together an amazing project for Vans last winter. We saw him undertake three shoots in three different locations. He went to Chamonix with Blake Paul and Arthur Longo. Kit Steinhorn, I believe is how you say it, with Fridge and Rene. Can't pronounce Rene's last name, not going to try. And he went to Japan with the brilliantly named Benny Urban and Danimals Dan Ladle to give him his uh, born name. Anyway, over the summer, Matt collected the pics from these shoots, made three beautiful zines, hence the name Triple. And he asked me to take care of the words for each instalment, which I did. And also, and here I get to the point, I recorded two of those for special bonus podcasts. Well, I actually recorded three, but we had technical issues on one of them, which meant that only two worked out. But I'm going to release these two that did work out as special bonus episodes exclusively for subscribers to my newsletter. That's right, completely free bonus content featuring me interviewing Arthur and Blake and then another one with me interviewing Dan and Benny. I'll be releasing these in the coming weeks. To get your hands on them, you'll need to subscribe to my newsletter over at www.wearelookingsideways.com. Make sure you check your spam and junk to completely opt in. I'm going to be sending a link out on the newsletters to these episodes. So you will need to be subscribed to get them. Um, and on the subject of books, what's another great segue? I'm sure you'll agree. A look in sideways California update. So it looks like that's actually going to happen, which is nice. Just finalizing how we're going to pay for it. But yeah, it looks like we'll be putting that together for a spring release. Me and Owen with an art show and possible live podcast to boot. Of course, I'll keep you posted once I've got that one confirmed. And in one final book-related snippet, um, for some reason, I get asked what I'm reading a lot by listeners. So like a twat, I decided to keep a record of every book I've read this year as a story highlight on my Instagram over at We Look Sideways, which unbelievably 
I've managed to do all year. So if you're asked, every book I've read this year is on my Instagram as a highlight and it's called Reading List. Um, I might do a blog listing them as well if I can be asked. Looks like we got ourselves a reader, eh? And on that literary bombshell, I'm going to sign off for this week. Big thanks to my friends at Black Diamond, Travel Portland and Hertz for their support, for Lumen for being such a good sport and to you for listening. Nice one. See you next time. (laughs) 